to another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Tim Fong, welcome to the Unicorns. Thanks for having me, Justin. Okay, let's go back in time before Airtasker, before your initial banking days. What did you think you wanted to do when you left school? Oh, gee, when I, when I left school, I actually had no idea. Um, and so when I got my, um, you know, my UAI uh, results, I kind of looked at like what I could do uh, based, on, uh, based on, on those. And um, I was actually a toss-up uh, in two directions. One was um, one thing that I was considering doing was uh, industrial uh, design. You know, I'm really interested in building products, serving customers. Um, and I thought that would be a, um, a good uh, route to go down. Um, uh, but what I ended up going with was um, a degree in commerce uh, with um, a major in tourism and hospitality management, um, which mm-hmm. was all about um, uh, building hotels. Um, and, and so I thought I thought that would be really cool, <laughs> like being a hotelier. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I decided to go with that. And, and thankfully, it was a, it's a marketing commerce degree as well. Um, but 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 it had that major, which was uh, interesting. Were you were you a good student? So I did. Um, I, I did uh, top the class in uh, food and beverage. That was one of our uh, courses, uh, and it involved uh, wine tasting and um, learning how to do silver service and things like that. And I actually did pretty well. So yeah, I did. I did well in that one. <laughs> was Was there pressure on you when you left Year Twelve to like to go to university, do a degree, or was it like you know what I should just probably go out and find a job? Well, it's really interesting. I mean, I guess um, you know. Um, really fortunate, grew up in Australia, you know, in a middle income uh, family and, um, and um, you know, very conservative, I guess, uh, viewpoint. And, and that was pretty much that it's absolutely uh, that you're going to go to uni and, 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 and get a degree. That was there was no option. Question. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't really a question. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to paint the light that, you know, uh, my family's ultra, ultra, ultra conservative. But, but certainly university and, and, you know, finishing high school and, and getting a degree was kind of an expectation. So you eventually ended up in banking. Tell me about that. Uh, so uh, during uni, um, my main uh, job was, um, or my first job, uh, I was um, teaching um, maths and physics and stuff to, to high school um, students. Um, and then... Um, the next job that I got was actually working in a hotel. Um, so I worked at a boutique hotel called the Altamont uh, Hotel in uh, in Darlinghurst. And um, basically, I was the duty manager there. I'd, I'd do 12-hour shifts of basically just looking after everything in the hotel. Mm. Um, and then I remember one day, um, I was looking at the university uh, jobs notice board, and uh, there was a job that they put up, which was um, that you got to work with um, Steve Waugh and Greg Norman and all of these like sports stars on um, on basically um, building out you know uh, various kinds of uh, projects, and so I thought, oh, that that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so I put my hand up for that, and what it turned out to be uh, was an internship at, at Macquarie um, in the golf and leisure uh, division, um, the leisure investment banking division of their golf and leisure department. And um, it was all about, at the time, um, Macquarie was investing with Greg Norman into uh, building uh, golf course uh, developments and okay. working with Steve yeah. Waugh on, on cricket um, property developments. Uh, and so that's how I find my way into, um, into, into banking 
Um, uh, but it was always about chasing something interesting to do. And how long did you stay at Macquarie for? So I did um, an internship for the last two years of, of university, and then I stayed on for about three and a half years um, after that. So it ended up being about a five-year um, experience, and um, okay. it was a, it was a wonderful experience in in learning how to do things, um, you know, in a in a organization which ultimately has a really high performance bar. So I know you've answered this before in in some some other. Uh, interviews, but I, I want to explore with you the exact moment you thought about the idea of Airtasker. Well, it, it, it's so interesting because I think, um, you know, usually these ideas, they kind of, it's not kind of like you hit your head in the shower and the whole thing comes to life in, in one go. Like, I think it's it's usually, you know, there, there's a couple of contributors uh, to mm-hmm. it. You know, there, there's mm-hmm. bits of ideas coming up left and right and bits of ins- inspiration and different people who kind of nudge you in a, in a direction. Um, but, um, you know, in, in, in going back to the, the start of Airtasker, I think the, the, the first thing that kind of got us is um, I was moving apartments and... Um, and um, I, I asked a, a mate of mine who, who runs a frozen chicken nuggets uh, business, I asked him uh, to help me move because he's got a truck that, you know, we could put our couch and stuff yep. in. And, and so, th- so that just got us thinking, he's like, you know, why do we ask family and friends to do all this stuff when there's so many people who, who would love to be earning money by doing these kinds of jobs? So that was kind of the starting point, And that, that's what got us thinking. Um, and at the time, um, Jono, my co-founder, and I, we were both working in a startup uh, called Amazim. Um And so, you know, we, we, to some degree, had the startup bug, I guess, and yes. had, had yep. seen yep. that these things could be done. At the same time, there were companies like um, TaskRabbit and Airbnb, and this whole sharing economy thing was kind of coming out at the same time. And then I think one other nudge that we got is I asked one of our very, very cynical uh, friends, you know, is this a good idea? And basically, um, he was like, oh, I, I, like, I, I asked my friends that um, he was working at Bain at the time. He was yeah. like, yeah, I asked my friends and they actually all said that was a good idea. So I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> and so so I pitched it. You're part um, of the pub test or the Bain test. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm like, oh, they, that's a bunch of smart people. You know, they, they must have a good thing. And and so I, I, I pitched it to my roommate who, who was in superannuation and is um, – you know, super, super conservative. And um, I guess this was the first idea that he didn't tell me was totally rubbish. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, a few nudges from a few people um, and, and and that's what got us uh, on the road to, to building Antarctica. So you've got what is forming as a bit of a concept. How do you then take the leap from you working in a startup business to just taking that leap of faith uh, and beginning a business was that was that a hard thing to do? Well, I think again it comes in a couple of stages. Um, but I think the first thing was um, I think a lot of people um, are kind of afraid to put themselves out there, even when it just comes to their idea. You know, they'll, they'll talk about an idea, but you know, when you really actually take time to, for example, just sketch out your idea on a piece of paper, you are putting yourself out there. And mm. I think a lot of people are terrified about doing that because you have to kind of like address some of the ambiguities. And when you put it out there, people might say it's totally crap. Um, and so yeah. I guess one of the things we did is, you know, we just started sketching things on on bits of paper and, um, you know, drawing wireframes and just kind of like putting some meat on the bone. Um, and so I think that was kind of like the first kickoff. 
But then I remember um, when we told our, our bosses at Amazim, the startup we were working at at the time, um, that we were going to quit our jobs, um, they kind of put a bit of an ultimatum on us. It was kind of like, well, yeah, okay, if you're going to go, go. Um, and, and so I remember Jono and I had this, this quite critical moment where we, we walked out into Australia Square and uh, we sat down and we had a drink together. And then, um, you know, it was really like, oh, well, if we're going to do this, we can't do it half. There's only all in or, or nothing. Um, and so mm. it was actually from that perspective, like a single moment where we said, you want to do this? It's like, yeah, let's do it. And <laughs> we fist bumped, uh, we finished our drinks and then we said, we're quitting and we're going for it. Um, and uh, I think that was pretty important uh, in the type of, um, uh, you know, model Airtasker is. It's not something I think that you can kind of do part time and yes. see if it takes off. It's sort of like put yourself out there and you're either going to crash terribly or, or it might become something. So you've, you've got the idea, you've agreed to leave your jobs, you've fleshed it out a little bit. What do you do then? What happens next? Well, in our case, um, uh, you know, Jono uh, is, a, is a telco engineer and I'm a, um, I'm a marketer and, um, uh, you know, and had some experience in raising money from working in a startup. Um, so, um, you know, we had to kind of combine those two things together. Um, so um, uh, neither of us are, are software developers uh, by trade. So it was like, okay, yep. well, we better write down exactly what we want and then find um, the resources to actually build it. And so um, we'd had some um, experience in, in working with uh, different development groups, uh, and most of them were absolutely terrible experiences. Um, yeah, you know, as we yeah. all know, like, you know, getting someone to build your website and it turns out to cost 10 times as much or there's miscommunications and all this yeah, kind of thing. it's not good. You don't like it. Yep. Exactly. It's super hard. So we, we spent a lot of time, um, you know, recruiting um, the, the people who were going to build um, the first version of Airtasker. And um, it actually turned out that they were about 500 meters up the road from us um, in this kooky <laughs> little, um, this tiny little office. And it was a bunch of, um, uh, you know, seven or eight um, boys and girls all in their, you know, um, mid to young 20s who were basically um, in this, you know, cramped up little office with a... Um, with a with an arcade machine and uh, a fish tank, and um, they were just a bunch of cool people. So we we were like, oh, this this looks awesome. Like this looks really down to earth. And and so John and I spent a bunch of time with uh, with uh, Michael and the team at at Centia, and um, you know uh, we formed a really solid relationship, which was I think a little bit different from you know your typical outsourced agency, which is that John and I um, you know were really responsible for building out. And, and specking out the product um, in a lot of detail. And we basically um, sat with the engineers at, at Sentier and and um, hand in hand uh, built the first version of the app. And, and we just knew that we had to get to market uh, super fast and start getting runs uh, on the board. And so, um, you know, it was all Jono and my money uh, at the beginning, uh, which went into, um, you know, uh, getting that first version built. And that's always got to be hard when it's your own back pocket talking. Oh, definitely. But but I think that, you know, it's kind of necessary to demonstrate that you you really believe in the idea. Um, like, I think that it definitely makes sense. I don't necessarily think that, um, you know, um, entrepreneurs need to put in all of the money, but I think that you want to demonstrate that, you know, you really believe in the idea and that you're going to go for it. Um, so mm-hmm. I think it was useful in that sense. So where did the name come from, Airtasker? Yeah, so this is... This is 
great. We had so many different names at, at the time, and thankfully, as the um, as one of the founders, I got to be you know lead at this project. Um, but it, it, it's really hard coming up with a name. We um, so first of all, we 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 really um, had a look at um, some of the other platforms that were emerging around the time, and and, and a lot of the uh, the names I found to be. Like my vision for Airtask has always been about really like empowering people to earn an income. And we mm-hmm. found that a lot of the names and stuff were quite condescending. You know, it was like elves or rabbits or, um, you know, uh, <laughs> doitformy.com or like getanerrand.com or something like that. And we're just like, yeah. this is quite like unscalable and it's a bit kind of condescending and pretentious, to be honest. Um, and so we're like, well, we want to make what we're doing like really – um, uh, empowering and 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 really something that people will aspire to, and so um, being the nerds that we are, um, there was a comic um, that we looked up when 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 we were um, when we were googling around, and it's this Marvel character called Airwalker, and Airwalker um, you know sort of like jumps from building to building and and, and does stuff around the city. And we're like, yeah, that's what we want to be like. We want to have a be an awesome kind of superhero. And then we were kind of like unoriginally like, yeah, but we've got to have Task in our name. And so we uh, we took Airwalker and we just stuck Task where Walk used to be. Um, and that was the original, um, that was you the original Airtasker. Right. I had no idea that's how you came up with the name. It's a pretty obscure, it's a pretty obscure <laughs> uh, cartoon character, Airwalker. But if you Google it, it, it he's, he's pretty cool um, and he's pretty aspiring. So, um, yeah, um, I think... I think it was uh, important, um, but I would say that one thing is like every name sounds really silly um, the first time you hear it, um, but if you say it enough times, uh, it becomes legit. It stinks, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, as someone who has used Airtasker a lot for odd jobs around the house, I know what the appeal is of getting something done quickly. Um, what do you think the appeal is? Oh, this is something that we've spent a lot of time sort of reflecting on as we've, um, you know, uh, continued to scale the marketplace and we're looking at, you know, scaling it internationally as well. It's like, what is the reason, like what, what do customers really value about Airtasker? And um, the way I think about it is this, um, there, there's there's kind of like this, this whole kind of like um, space of services that people um, uh, need but they just can't find a way to actually connect um, with somebody else. Like there, there is no space made for that. And so the thing that people really value about Airtasker is that they come to Airtasker and they can access a really wide variety of services and skills. Um, they can get it in a fast way, which is actually like tangible. And, yeah. um, and they've got a lot of transparency and things around um, finding the right price for the task too. And mm. what this comes down to is what, what I call um, liquidity. You know, it's marketplace liquidity. It's having everybody in one place and having a sort of um, singular understanding of, uh, of what the platform uh, is for. And, and so I really think it is about accessing this ra- wide range of services, prices, and availabilities. Um, and the fact that there's like a depth and a liquidity in that market that you can't get um, elsewhere is really what is, uh, what is powerful. So how did you go about convincing some of the early stage investors right at the beginning that your business, Airtasker, was actually something worthwhile and they should get in on the on the ground floor? Well, first of all, with a lot of difficulty, I'd say, like um, <laughs> at, the, at the beginning. And, and, and I was lucky because, you know, through Amazim, I'd had um, 
experience in in um, you know watching some really great entrepreneurs raise money, and okay. um, you know I kind of so seen that, it. So that helped. Well, definitely. I mean, like, I guess the the one way it helps is you kind of believe it. You know, you you actually mm. believe, oh, this is possible. Like people do this. Um, and so I think, um, that was definitely an advantage. And, and also we had a bit of a network of people that we had, um, you know, uh, met with along the way who, who were useful. Um, but how did we go around convincing people? I guess, I guess the number one thing would be that, um, we had to kiss a lot of frogs. So just yeah. speaking to a lot of people and taking a lot of meetings, like most of which, you know, much of which, you know, is going to be a, a waste of time. Um, mm. The second thing we did is we, um, we, we, we knew it was important to bring some really smart people into the tent early. Um, so, you know, we gave away some um, equity to, um, to some really smart people. Um, we had, uh, you know, the founder of um, an online platform called Swoopo. Um, you know, uh, we gave him, you know, a really good deal on equity early on. Um, we had a, a guy named Justus Hammer. Uh, who had built a, and exited a successful startup um, recently at the time, uh, and so uh, we brought these people in as advisors and and you know yep. made them owners of the company, um, and that was definitely helpful in I guess building that initial momentum. How did you go about figuring out how much you actually needed to raise? Because I imagine you would have had differing opinions on on that because that that must be hard. Yeah, well, look, I, I think um, uh, generally speaking, at the beginning of like a high risk venture, um, you know, my general thesis would be take as much as you can get because <laughs> you want to have, you know, you the longest know, right? runway yeah. to to uh, be able to figure out what you're doing. And, um, you know, I think uh, increasing the odds of finding, you know, an S curve or finding a J curve is kind of the most important thing. And I think money goes a long way to increasing your runway and um, and making sure that you've got ample time and space to be able to do that, um, and also it kind of prevents you from needing to get distracted again in in the short to medium term. Albeit, it does feel like in those early days that you're basically raising money all the time. Um, yeah. But yeah, generally speaking, we actually knew that we would need a bunch of money, and so we we set our target at a million dollars. That's how much we wanted to raise, um, mm-hmm. and. Um, and we ended up being able to raise 1.4 million, and so we took took it all. <laughs> yeah. So, is it obviously you know raising money? It, it never really ends. Is it as difficult for you now, given the success of the business, or is it or is it still challenging for you? Uh, look, I think it's different challenges at different um, uh, levels. So, first of all, um, you know, um, Airtask is now profitable, uh, which is which is good. Um, which so is good. we're not in that position where we have to keep uh, raising money, but but certainly that was a huge part of our journey for about eight years. Um, and you know, into the future, I think um, you know, making sure that you've got the right investor base and, and shareholder base and capital is always a thing. You know, whether you IPO your company eventually or 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 whatever you do, uh, managing your shareholders is always a thing. Um, but I think, yeah, just, just raising money um, uh, at the beginning was more about convincing people about the team, forming relationships, uh, et cetera. Then over time, it becomes more about um, metrics and, and numbers um, and, you know, it becomes less about, I guess, uh, the team, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, over time, that, that even moves even further down the funnel and um, it becomes much more objective and about the company um, even more mm. so. So... Where to now? Let's let's talk about some of the stats 
around air, air tasker where we can say you know the, the number of jobs or transactions through the platform where you're in operation obviously i know australia uh in the uk sort of employees give us give us a snapshot of where you're at yeah so uh we have about 150 people uh working um at airtasker um that's roughly two-thirds in sydney and about a third uh in manila um uh, we we're suing about um about 130 million dollars of um gmv gross marketplace volume going through the platform uh annualized um, and, um, you know, our business model is that we earn a, a fee percentage, um, of that, mm-hmm. um, in terms of, um, scaling. So, um, you know, in Australia, I think there's a huge way, uh, still to go. Um, but, um, we have also started scaling into the UK and Ireland and, uh, we're, um, opening up to, uh, new countries, uh, shortly, um, uh, which I'm uh, really excited about. So that, that's, I guess, one, um, uh, S curve that we're we're looking to um, to to get on. Uh, the other uh, is that we're really working on um, the next iteration of the um, Airtasker marketplace, and um, I call this sort of like layering um, on top of the Airtasker uh, marketplace. So our original model was um, what we call the open marketplace. It's where you post a task, um, you get uh, responses from our taskers, and then you you pick uh, one of those uh, quotes and go with it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're really excited, I guess, about the opportunity to empower our taskers even further to be able to market their own skills and create their own uh, services. Um, and so um, we're building, uh, we're currently in the process of building a new model, uh, which will allow taskers to, um, to, to create um, services that, that people can buy. And we think that this is going to be really powerful in inspiring um, uh, customers on all the things that they can actually do with their tasker. Um, you know, one of the things that's been um, a challenge for us through the way is, um, you know, we're an open marketplace f- platform, which means you can do a lot with um, Airtasker, but it also means that you need to kind of be inspired and, and given permission and shown how to use Airtasker, um, yes. which, is, which is a trade-off. Um, and so we're looking at addressing um, that issue. Yeah. Okay. So would those people have a public profile where they could, you could sort of browse and check their skills and say, oh, this person looks good. I might reach out to them. Uh, yeah, I think it's actually even more awesome than that. Um, so we call it the Airtasker Superstore. Um, and really what we're trying to do in our analogy is um, uh, change things uh, from sort of the the old style of a grocery store, which was that you walked in and um, there was a, a person at the counter who would say, hey, what do you want? And they would have all the items stamp behind them. That's how mm, um, yep. that's how stores used to work in the you know in the twenties and thirties and things, um, and we're really trying to change that um, to what you now have, which is actually all the goods are at the front of the store, and you can see everything that you want to see, um, and be able to take something off the shelf and and, and buy it. Um, and I think that completely changed the way that people went shopping, um, and and I think this is the analogy to the to this new marketplace model that we're building at Airtasker. So. Super stoked about it. That sounds cool. So, what what are you probably don't know this? What what are the plans for Airtasker? Is there an end game? Have you thought about, um, you know, what say the next couple of years, next five years might look like? Have you thought about a, a public listing? I suppose everything's on the table. Yeah, everything's on the table. So. Um... Yeah, I mean, first of all, I guess, you know, you do have to look at liquidity uh, for your early investors at some point, you know, um, 
uh, there's different investors and shareholders that are, are suitable for companies at different stages. Um, and so, um, you know, certainly it's been awesome to be able to, um, you know, create something of value for the uh, for our early uh, shareholders. And we're certainly thinking about, um, you know, how we how we uh, get them a return. Uh, so that is one thing. But I guess like where I spend 99% of my time is really um, thinking about where Airtask as a company needs to go. And so we've been making uh, a lot of change there. Um, you know, we've really uh, formed a, a really solid uh, senior leadership team at Airtasker. Um, and then, as I mentioned, uh, thinking about how we scale the marketplace models. Um, so, you know, this superstore model uh, that I'm talking about um, is where I spend a lot of my time uh, working on. And then also um, internationalization. So we're still at the absolute early days, I think, um, our total adjustable market now between, you know, the UK and Australia and Ireland is about 110 million people. Um, and, um, you know, I think that the opportunity to expand Airtasker and take it across the world um, is just a massive opportunity, especially given that um, the, for, for various reasons, um, no one has gone about creating a local um, uh, services marketplace in the way that Airtasker has. Um, and I think that uh, that presents massive, massive opportunity on a global scale. So what's your advice for the other Tim Fongs out there, those that are maybe halfway through their university degrees thinking about perhaps starting their own business, they've got an idea, they're not entirely sure. Have you got any tips for them about how they should go about enhancing that, working on that? Well, I, um, I think a couple of things. Um, I think um, if it's possible, um, you know, to get a role in a, um, in a high-performance organization, you know, whether that's, you know, that could be a startup, it could be, a, uh, could be an institution. Um, I think that, you know, having the opportunity to work and surround yourself just with, like, other super smart people um, is, is uh, valuable and something that if you're in that early stage and unless you've got, like, a burning desire to go and start your own thing, I think that um, it's, good to, um, it's good to, you know, cut your teeth um, in another um, industry. Uh, sorry, in another company where you can learn mm-hmm. skills. Yep. Um, but I would say that it is really important, I think, in this new uh, era um, of how the world of work is changing so fast is that you want to be able to like create your own uh, work and your own um, uh, value. So I think like, you know, what's really powerful is if you work in an organization and, and you can almost go up to the boss or, or your manager and be able to say, hey, here's how I'm going to add value to the company. Like, can I go and do this? Um, I think that's going to become more and more um, important over time. I don't think um, jobs in which you're told what to do and you just go do it. Um, I don't think those are, I think those are definitely going to be on the out and jobs in which you're proactively being entrepreneurial, whether it's inside an organization or outside, um, that that's going to be a massively growing area. Couldn't agree with you more. Finally, what Australian businesses uh, are you looking at from afar with, with some fondness, both in terms of their leadership team, what they're doing, the industry they're in, and just getting a sense that here's a company to keep your eyes on them. Oh, like I think there's so many um, companies in Australia which are actually really doing well. Um, you know, we, we've all heard of the Atlassians, the Canvas, the Safety Cultures, and, and companies like that. And I think they're doing an amazing um, they're doing an amazing uh, job in being um, 
you know, really, I guess, flying the flag uh, for Australia and, and balancing that, that high growth and ambition against, you know, um, some of the great things that having constraints like being in Australia actually bring. Um, so I think there's a ton of good companies uh, in that space. Um, I must say, I don't really um, look out at, um, you know, competitors and things uh, that much. So I'm probably not the best person to answer uh, this question. I actually probably throw my hands up a little bit um, um, uh, when I'm asked this uh, question. Um, I think that there's a ton of companies doing some really great things, but um, really, you know, we're always focused on on doing, um, you know, from the ground up what we think is the right thing to do. Yeah, good answer. Tim Fong, co-founder and CEO of Airtasker, many thanks for your time today. Thanks for joining us.